Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianmedia.com, who are also producers of EWTN's Living Right with Dr. Ray Garendi. to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Lowe, your host here on the fourth Sunday of the Great Fast, the season of the bright sadness, the flowering of repentance. Of course, we qualify that by saying fourth Sunday, according to the Gregorian calendar, because some of our other Eastern brethren, some of our Orthodox brethren, and some Eastern Catholic churches as well have not begun their Lent yet. It comes on the Julian calendar, which is quite a bit off of the growing calendar, different this year. Sometimes it's a little closer, sometimes even the same time. But this year, there's a great difference between the two times for Easter and for Lent. But nevertheless, according to the Gregorian calendar, for our purposes today, we're in the fourth Sunday of Lent, especially in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. And this fourth Sunday and the week ahead of us, moving into the fifth Sunday, is a week that is rich with personalities. One of them is St. John Climacus, Another one is St. Andrew of Crete and also St. Mary of Egypt. And we'll be talking about them later on in our program today. It's a very rich week in the Byzantine Lenten calendar. Speaking of being Byzantine, as a Byzantine Catholic, and one of the reasons why we say Byzantine, a lot of people wonder about that, Byzantine refers to the Byzantine Empire, Christianity as it developed in the Byzantine Empire, which today is modern-day Turkey, with its center being no longer Byzantium or later on Constantinople, but modern-day Istanbul. So Istanbul, Turkey, is what once was Byzantium and later Constantinople. And because that's where our heritage comes from, my particular heritage, we're always very interested in what's happening there, and especially with our Greek Orthodox brethren. We are also very interested in our program here in Light of the East and bringing to you an awareness that you won't get anywhere else as to the plight, the situation, the conditions of the Eastern churches, both Catholic and Orthodox around the world. In other words, the Eastern Catholic churches and Eastern Orthodox churches are so often at the very epicenter of some huge global events today. And you'll get that on regular news, but you will get it here in Light of the East. So it's good that you're listening and tuning in. 
and as always, invite others to as well. But speaking of our Greek Orthodox brethren, I want to bring you a little bit of news about their plight. In fact, I came across an article about that. I think it's appropriate even for Lent, because Lent we're talking about suffering, we're talking about repentance, we're talking about being in exile, being the prodigal son. This article is called The Orthodox Church Fights for Freedom. It's dated February 18, 2013, and it's featured in the Southtown Star newspaper, which is local to the Chicago area, and the particular section of the newspaper is called the Southland News. Again, it's the Southtown Star, the Southland News, and the author of the article is Phil Kadner, Phil Kadner, February 18, 2013. Again, the title, Orthodox Church Fights for Freedom. The article says this, imagine the worldwide outrage if the Pope resigned and the Italian government insisted it have a role in deciding who would take his place. Leaders of the Greek Orthodox Church in the United States are trying to draw attention to exactly that sort of government interference in their ability to choose a leader. At a news conference Sunday at St. Nicholas Greek Orthodox Church in Oak Lawn, kicking off a statewide campaign, Bishop Demetrius, Chancellor of the Greek Orthodox Metropolis of Chicago, called on the Illinois legislature to adopt a resolution supporting religious freedom for his order. Now, Mr. Kadner uses the word order here, but actually that's not quite the correct word because the Greek Orthodox Church is not an order, it's a church. Okay, I'll continue. All of us in this country are free to worship as we please, Demetrius said. Not so in Istanbul. Since 1922, Turkey has passed laws banning religious schools, the bishop explained. It has also mandated the patriarch of the Orthodox Church, the equivalent of the Pope, be born in Turkey. Patriarch Bartholomew, the church's current leader, was not only born in Turkey, but served in the military there. But since the secular government of Turkey has confiscated church lands and otherwise made it difficult for people to practice their religion, Demetrius explained there are now only about 2,000 Orthodox Christians left in the country, down from hundreds of thousands that managed to survive even through the Ottoman Empire. In essence, if the Turkish law is not changed, there may come a time when the Orthodox Church as old as the Roman Catholic Church, will find itself unable to elect a patriarch in the land where it was founded by St. Andrew about 2,000 years ago. Forty-two states in this country have passed resolutions urging Turkey to grant the Greek Orthodox Church more freedom. There are an estimated 6 million Orthodox Christians in the U.S., more than 1 million in Illinois, which has the third largest population in the nation behind only California and New York. There are about 250,000 members of the Orthodox faith in the Chicago metropolitan area, and 350 families are members of St. Nicholas Parish. Joining Demetrius at the news conference in St. Nicholas were Oakland Mayor David Heilman and Father Michael Constantinidis of St. Nicholas, and State Senator Bill Bradley, and State Senator Bill Brady, chief sponsor of Senate Resolution 70. In 2007, the Illinois House passed a similar resolution, but it failed to make it out of Senate committee for reasons that remain murky. The Turkish government not only has veto power on the patriarch of the Orthodox Church, but also can control those who vote for him, the hierarchs, by mandating they too be Turkish citizens. Since the Turkish government does not allow religious schools of any sort, Jewish, Muslim, or Catholic, it also does not allow seminaries. Therefore, any Turkish resident who desires to become a priest must go to school outside of the country, further limiting the ability of Turkey to generate its own candidates for patriarch. Demetrius said the Turkish government in recent years has loosened its grip somewhat, allowing about 15 leaders in the church throughout the world to apply for Turkish citizenship, thereby qualifying them as potential candidates to become head of the church. 
It has also returned about 380 acres of land it had confiscated for the church surrounding an orphanage. But the government still refuses to recognize the ecumenical or world religious leader status of the patriarch. The ecumenical patriarchy itself, the equivalent of the Vatican, has no legal identity. Therefore, it can't even own its own churches. Over the past 80 years, the Turkish government has confiscated numerous properties, including monasteries, church buildings, an orphanage, private homes, and schools and land. Left unchecked, the remaining Greek Orthodox community of Constantinople, present-day Istanbul, the cultural heirs of the Byzantine Empire, will be threatened and ultimately be no more, stated a news release issued by Greek Orthodox Metropolis of Chicago. While passing a state resolution supporting religious freedom in Turkey would be the right thing to do, I wonder what impact it would actually have. Certainly the U.S. government could apply greater pressure. But Turkey is a critical ally of the U.S., given its geographic location and borders with Syria, Iraq, and Iran. It has often aided Iran financially, however, breaking a U.N.-imposed embargo aimed at deterring that nation's development of nuclear weapons. Demetrius noted that while the government has imposed religious restrictions that make life difficult for Orthodox Catholics, it has not imprisoned them or engaged in physical intimidation. I want to correct that word again by our author Phil Kadner. It wouldn't be Orthodox Catholics. It would just be Orthodox Christians. Okay, I'll continue. Given our own country's history of religious tolerance, however, it ought to be a slam dunk for state political leaders to denounce restrictions imposed on the church by Turkey. There are currently only eight state senators who have agreed to support the resolution, according to church officials, including Bill Cunningham. At least 30 votes are needed to pass the resolution. A citizens committee composed of members of the Greek Orthodox Church has been organized to increase awareness and lobby state legislatures in support of the resolution urging religious freedom. The feel among church leaders in Illinois is the lack of such a group resulted in lawmakers failing to focus on its importance six years ago. I suppose that's possible, but the resolution did pass out of the House and nothing in Illinois happens without a reason. I have heard of no opposition or objections, Brady said Sunday. If the resolution doesn't make it out of committee this year, I would at least like to hear someone explain why. Again, this is an article from the Southtown Star newspaper, a section called Southland News. Author is Phil Kadner, and it was dated February 18, 2013. Mr. Kadner's email is pkadner at southtownstar.com if you wish to write to him. pkadner, Kadner is spelled with a K, K-A-D-N-E-R, pkadner at southtownstar.com. Again, his name is Phil Kadner. And again, the Orthodox Church Fights for Freedom is the title of the article. Just helping to keep you aware of the situation of the Eastern churches, whether Orthodox or Catholic. It seems like in this day and age, we find ourselves, the eastern lung of the church, always at the epicenter of some of the most significant global issues of our day. One of those, of course, is religious persecution. I'm Father Thomas Leia on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. 
In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. And like Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish on Facebook. Saving Jews from the Holocaust in a wheelchair. And now, a Sheptitsky Institute Minute with Father Peter Galadza. Archbishop Andrei Sheptitsky was born in 1865 in western Ukraine. He was an aristocrat who gave up his wealth to become a monk. He then led the Greco-Catholic Church in Ukraine through two world wars. Exiled to Russia for three years during World War I, Sheptitsky never again enjoyed good health. From 1929 until his death in 1944, he worked from a wheelchair. From that wheelchair, Sheptitsky coordinated efforts to save hundreds of Jews during the Holocaust. Next time, we'll tell you more about the Archbishop, who at the height of the Holocaust wrote, A lack of love is the source of every hardship and misery. Love is the very substance of all of God's revelation. To learn about degree programs in Eastern Christian Studies, visit sheptitskyinstitute.ca. That's S-H-E-P-T-Y-T-S-K-Y institute.ca. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. People often ask me, what is the difference between an Eastern Catholic and a Latin Rite Catholic? Hello, I'm Father Thomas J. Loya with an Eastern Christian Moment. The difference between Eastern Catholicism and Roman or Western Catholicism is not a difference in belief, nor is it just a matter of different customs and traditions. Rather, it is a difference of theological emphasis, of seeing the same thing but from different vantage points, according to the respective genius of both lungs of the Church. For instance, in Western spirituality, there is an emphasis of man striving towards God and how the accomplishments of man point to the greatness of God. This emphasis became expressed in the tall verticality of Gothic church architecture and in works of famous artists and composers. In the East, the starting point is God's transcendence, which becomes imminent and incarnate. This emphasis became expressed in the domes, arches, and iconography of the Eastern churches. East and West may differ in emphasis, but they both arrive at the same place of the one true God. To find out more about the Eastern Lung of the Church, go to easternchristianmedia.com. Back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Leo, your host. We just heard in our first segment what's happening with the Greek Orthodox Church. And again, they are the heirs of the Byzantine Empire, from which I get the name of my own church, Byzantine Catholic. And again, that means that it is Christianity that was developed and practiced going all the way back to the 4th century in the area that was at that time called Byzantium, and later on Constantinople, modern-day Turkey and Istanbul. And what happened was missionaries that were part of that church, the Byzantine church at the time, eventually were sent into the Slavic lands, into Europe and Russia and that area, and Eastern Europe, Central Europe. And that's why my particular church, which comes from Central Europe, is called a Byzantine Catholic church. In particular, the Ruthenian Byzantine Catholic church. Ruthenian refers to, it's actually the English word, Anglicized word for the word Rusin, the people of Rus. 
who were the people centuries and centuries ago who populated the Carpathian Mountain area, which is the exact epicenter of Europe. It's the meeting point of the eastern part of Europe and the western part of Europe. It's now known today as Slovakia, Hungary, Ukraine, that particular area right in there, the Tatra Mountains and Lower Tatras, which are the Carpathian Mountains. That area was evangelized in the 9th century by Byzantine missionaries. Now, remember, too, that the way we get Byzantine Catholic and Orthodox is by the fact of a schism. The eastern lung of the church was so intact, basically, until the 11th century, when the schism happened between the Roman Catholic Church and the Eastern Orthodox, well, they became known as Eastern Orthodox churches after the schism. And then about several centuries later, during the 15th and 16th centuries, the parts of the Orthodox Church began to reunite with the Roman Catholic Church, and that's how you have the Eastern Catholic Churches. So, yes, my particular heritage, the Byzantine Catholic Church, has its spiritual heritage in the Orthodox churches, but currently, of course, are in union, full communion with the Pope of Rome. That's why we're called Byzantine Catholic. And on our liturgical calendar this day in the Byzantine Catholic Church, we have a very rich day, as I mentioned at the beginning of the program, and that is because we have several personalities that are great personalities in church history, especially the Eastern church history. John Climacus, St. Andrew of Crete, and St. Mary of Egypt. This is the Sunday of St. John Climacus, and what we do in our, in our liturgical calendar on this fourth Sunday of Lent is we feature a great ascetic, a great monk. And next Sunday, we'll feature a female ascetic, a female monk, that's St. Mary of Egypt. And we do so because we put before our eyes these models of asceticism to help us in the rigors of our own Lenten practice, which, of course, is based upon ascetical disciplines, which we take very, very seriously. In fact, so seriously, we're going to do something very serious this week with St. Andrew, called the St. Andrew of Crete, but we'll get to that in a moment. A little bit about St. John Climacus. He was an abbot of Sinai in the 6th to 7th centuries, and he was assigned a special Sunday in Lent because of the virtue of his writings and his own life. He forms a pattern of the true Christian ascetic. He wrote a book called The Ladder of Paradise, or Ladder of Divine Ascent. It's one of the spiritual texts appointed to be read during the, during the period of Lent in the Byzantine Church. His memorial, like that of St. Theodore, has been transferred to the, to the movable from the fixed calendar, where he is remembered on the 30th of March. Now, St. John's book, The Ladder of Divine Ascent, is basically a kind of an anatomy of asceticism, of how we move from one level to the next in the spiritual life through asceticism and through prayer. It's basically a way of overcoming, which of course is very much what Lent is about, overcoming the tyranny of our passions. Remember, our passions are not bad. Our passions are intrinsically good. You know, they're like eros, meaning the desire, the reaching, the striving for God. That is a good thing. But because of original sin, that striving, of course, has a downside to it, a dark side to it, which we call concupiscence, or the, the, the way that our passions can get out of control or control us. They have a fallen side to them. So it is through a cynical discipline, prayer, and fasting, and, and those kinds of rigors, you know, a, a life that is very austere. And we do a lot of that during Lent, but people like John Climacus did it as a whole life. They did it very, very intensely, and from that, they grew in holiness and a great deal of wisdom, and so they began to write down some of these steps, some of the how-to of becoming a saint, becoming holy through asceticism. Now, during this week also, speaking of asceticism, we do something very, very ascetical, something we did during the first week of Lent, which was spread out during the first 
several days of the first week of Lent in the Byzantine calendar, and that is the great canon of St. Andrew of Crete. Now, the neat thing about this, it's a real gem of Byzantine liturgical prayer. What it does, and this is what's really neat about it, there's many things neat about it, but the thing that's really neat, that's its feature, is that basically it's a journey through the entire Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, in which we meditate upon any place where there was some kind of sin, but also some kind of redemption. And what's interesting about it is kind of almost like a refresher course in the Bible, because you come across some of these names and references, and you think to yourself, oh boy, I don't remember that. Was that in the Bible? Maybe I should brush up on the Bible again, because it sometimes <laughs> will cite names that we might think to be obscure. There's sort of stories that maybe are not that well known. You know, there's stories like Moses and Noah, you know, and some of the prophets and Elijah, you know, some of those, their stories are are much more well-known. But there's also smaller, shorter stories that are very significant in the Bible. And the neat thing about the St. Andrew of Crete prayer is that it kind of immerses us in there, kind of walks us through the Bible and kind of reintroduces us even to these little stop-off points along the way. So these are done by verses that are chanted to a very beautiful hymn, a very beautiful melody. And after each verse, we say, have mercy on me, O God, have mercy on me. And then we do what is called a full prostration. I'll give you some examples of some of these verses that take us through the Bible. I have fouled examples, Savior, of those who lived in wantonness in the days of Noah, and like them I, have, I am condemned to drown in the flood. Okay, that comes from Genesis chapter 6. Here's a few others. O my soul, depart from sin from the land of Haran, and come to the land that Abraham inherited, which flows with incorruption and eternal life. And that, of course, is from Genesis chapter 11. Once Joseph was cast into a pit, O Lord and Master, as a figure of your burial and resurrection, but what offering such as this shall I ever make to you? That, of course, comes from Genesis chapter 37. Here's another one from Joseph. O miserable and wicked soul, imitate the righteous and pure mind of Joseph, and do not live in wantonness, sinfully indulging your disordered desires. Aaron offered to God fire that was blameless and undefiled, but Hophni and Phinehas brought to him, as you have done, my soul, strange fire and a polluted life. Then what happens is, as we move through the Old Testament, I can go on and on, there's many references, we eventually move into the New Testament with verses like this. Thou art a deep well, O master, make springs gush forth for me from your pure veins. Like the woman of Samaria, I may drink and thirst no more, for from you flow the streams of life. That is from John chapter 4. O Master and Lord, may my tears be unto me a siloam, that I may also wash clean the eyes of my soul, and with my mind behold you the pre-eternal light. John chapter 9. And it goes on and on like this with these very short but very poignant verses. And then during the St. Andrew of Crete, we pause and we read the story, and this is our third personality today, the third giant of the spiritual life, St. Mary of Egypt. Now, she'll be commemorated uh, next Sunday. She has her own Sunday. because we, So we have a male and we have a female ascetic that we put before our eyes. How's that for being kind of up-to-date and politically correct? <laughs> We've been doing that for centuries at Byzantine Church. You know, it's fair, right? We present the man and we also present the woman, St. Mary of Egypt. Now, she has an interesting story that we read, and we read it in two parts during the service of St. Andrew Crete. And by the way, if you're in the area or if you want to come into the area, I invite you to come to the St. Andrew of Crete. That's Thursday evening, March 14th. That's right, Thursday evening, March 14th at 7 o'clock at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish in Homer Glen, Illinois. You can find out more about it, actually, by going to our website, byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. 
and it'll go about three and a half or four hours. Now, you don't have to stay for the whole thing, but stay for whatever part you would like. Because remember, it's like a journey. You can go the whole route if you want or just do part of it and then go to bed or whatever. But you're welcome to come. I highly urge you to come. It's one of the gems of Eastern spirituality, certainly a gem of the time of the great fast, the time of the bright sadness of Lent. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610. Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years.